grab me a beer and grab him a coat. We bout to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up, cause he done sobered up. Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds. And Brandon Tess here, bitch, your ex drinking buddy. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. I'm your host, Brennan Tassif. If you're new to the program, I'll give you a quick rundown of the show. I used to be everyone's favorite drinking buddy. It was my favorite thing to do. Hang out with friends, do drugs, get drunk, get in all sorts of trouble and reminisce about old stories. I'm sober now, but that is still one of my favorite things to do is to hang out with friends, talk shit, talk shop and reminisce about the good old days. Most weeks I will be joined by a guest. This week is no exception. All the way from Los Angeles, Anderson Cowan. Let's not get crazy. I mean, it's not like I'm coming from Los Angeles. I, I continue to sit here in Los Angeles, Brennan. It's true. That is true. It's not insane. Yes. Well, let's um let's tell everybody what's going on. So, Anderson, you are a, a filmmaker, podcaster. You were on Loveline uh, as a engineer for many, many years. Too many. Too many. <laughs> Way too many. Yeah. Tell everybody, uh, plug everything you got. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. All right. So uh, I fill my uh, my weeks these days with uh, trying to uh, uh, be a good dad, <laughs> trying to be a good a good uh, husband. But uh, I also spend a lot of time watching movies. But that's what I got to do for the shows that I do. So I do uh, the Film Vault. That's my big uh, money maker. That's the that's the one that's been going on for uh, twelve years or so. Actually, longer than that now. But uh, we talk movies every single week. We try and uh, shine a light on smaller movies and uh, as well as the big ones. And uh, we review movies at the top. And then we do our top five from various categories. Uh, we've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different top fives. Like, you know, everything from like top five. Most disturbing. Yeah. Top five most disturbing is one of our most, our most popular ones where uh, we talked about some of the most effed up movies we've ever seen. And, uh, and then I also do cinematics with Greg Srozavosti, who's uh, an actual broadcast film critic association member. He, uh, he actually votes on stuff and he watches movies professionally, which is weird and awesome. And, uh, and then I also do the after disaster, which is, I think, how you came across me uh, originally many years ago when many, uh, I was associated ago. with Loveline. I started in radio in uh, the mid 90s. And uh, the thing about radio is if you just kind of show up, if you... I, there's a place called the Magic Castle out here, and it's like very exclusive. It's kind of I call it the Nerd Castle. It's a lot yeah, it's of nerds. members only, isn't it? Members only, yes, unless you get an invite. But if you get one of those elusive invites, once you get in there, uh, you'll get another invite when you're there. Almost like on the way out the door, it's obligatory to almost give you like a, a little card that lets you come more back with friends. So once you get in once, your foot's in the door. You can literally just you know keep going back. That's kind of how it is with radio. If you're lucky enough to like meet somebody in the business and they invite you down to the studio uh this used to be valuable information before that entire industry <laughs> nosedived now it's not i mean you run from radio if you're thinking about getting into radio think uh think harder about that but yeah i got an invitation to uh, go down and check out uh a, a guy's show who I was, a, I was a, obsessed with i listened to scott Farrell on the bench religiously and then i met him at a remote and he liked me and uh, said come down check out the studio i did and then i just never left i went there probably four to five nights a week for six months before finally he fired somebody and gave me their job. And I learned everybody's job and I just, uh, it was great. It was, that's how, that's how I started my 20 plus year radio career, which led to everything else that I do, including yeah, I was, the movie that I made. I was going to say, because that's how I actually originally found you from the film vault, <laughs> believe it or not. That's when, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I got into podcasting like, long long time ago probably like in the late 2000 like you know 2010 era and i started listening to different podcasts and i was trying to find like good podcasts so believe it or not i listened to corolla's podcast and i was like i really don't like this but bald brian was on it and he, i think he had <laughs> mentioned something about the film vault or something like that or what would make you listen to something first of all brian is by far and away the worst part of the corolla podcast as far as i can tell because uh, he's brian well i just went and, to the, the uh, like the uh the charts and corolla was at the top so i was like oh let me listen yeah, to he this was. so i listened to a couple of those and i wasn't really a huge fan of it but i i could have sworn that's how i found the film vault was so you never listen to loveline no never huh. i i only ever listened to loveline when i was like trying to listen to you guys 
Mm. Like you, after you discovered us, that's pretty yeah, sweet. You came in the yeah. back door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after I discovered, like, there are some times where I would log on, and there would like Love Line would be going a little longer. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, where the where the pad boys at? Like, get this fucking shit off the air. Yeah, Love Line was interesting because I I fell into that job too. It was right down the hall from the first show that I worked on that I was just talking about, and. uh uh then the show that i worked on pharrell got fired because he got fired from everywhere people hosts get fired that's kind of yeah. part of the gig and so now was i didn't have a, a show to produce anymore but the powers that be liked me enough that they kept me around they put me on a couple other like new york sports radio shows that i was producing remotely because they knew that um a love line was going to open up pretty soon because mike dooley was going to move on and they they wanted me on love line which oh okay <sighs> powers that be were not very bright because i they probably shouldn't have wanted me anywhere near love line because uh, anyone who knew me at all and anyone who knows corolla would know that like that's just not a good match nah, so, just push the buttons anderson nah. eh, yeah i'm just he likes people that agree with everything he says and i'm not one of those people so i but i fell into love line and it was it was a lot of fun for the first few years i ended up being there for 17 years which is way too too long but i saw a lot of things that it, it gave me free days which was great because i didn't have to be there till 9 p.m and then i'd usually be done by around one and uh i went through a lot of different iterations of love line but when the after disaster was born uh it was kind of born out of the stringent nature of terrestrial radio at the time especially with our show in particular because Radio had always been fairly locked down. And, you know, that's why Stern left all those years ago, because the FCC is constantly breathing down his neck and then all the commercials and you got to you got to keep it clean and a lot of restrictions. And then at that era of Loveline, uh, we had a consultant who came in who was really trying to make the show buttoned up. Oh, really? straightforward and ever like overly produced with like tons of segments that we'd have to go to. And I was just I had such fatigue of that that I wanted to create something that was much more free and open. It was right at the advent. It was right towards the first couple of years of podcasting. So I, I pushed, I pitched the idea. If you remember, like actually I pitched the idea uh, while being admonished by the big, big boss. Yeah. You got called I, in because to, to yeah. be, you were going to get suspended. <laughs> I should have been fired because the, uh, <laughs> the fuck word was, was blurted out quite a bit uh, on, on the air. And it wasn't even our show. I was in there doing the film vault with uh filling uh mike carano at the time a buddy of mine and brian Part was too sick with carano, his brain cancer yeah. and so so i had uh mike carano and and miss movie sit in uh in, in in brian's absence to talk about like oscar worthy movies that were because it was the oscar season so i had to keep the film vault going and i was using the studio without permission just you know yeah in between love line and you know what i like us or whatever i was in there i want i just i don't mean to interrupt you but for everyone listening this is like a multi-million dollar like heavy dude this is like a legit studio and you were yeah. just like yeah i'm gonna just gonna borrow this room for a second but i mean it was a building that had like six studios i was one of the longest tenured engineers over there i knew how most of the equipment work i could yeah. go into any studio and make everything work and uh you know there wasn't a whole lot of oversight which was another reason why i stuck around as long as i did i love not having a boss yeah uh it's, it's great even though i had technically like six bosses but when you get in that kind of territory where you have like six to eight bosses you don't really have a boss yeah they all assume that you know somebody else is watching over you so i mean the shit that we got away with in there was great and uh uh, so, but I, I, I pushed a button on the board and that took Billy Bush off air uh, and he was on like 100 plus stations. He was syndicated and it piped through that building. And uh, the button that I pushed ultimately switched the satellite receiver so that now our room was live to the 100 plus stations across yeah. the country. So you kick Billy Bush Canada. off. Then you had uh, then you had the film vault go live out to 100 plus stations. Worse than that, Brennan, I was actually I went to get myself some coffee and I left uh, my Corano friend of the show and uh, Miss Movies in, in the studio uh, waiting for me patiently. And uh, Mike Carano was just going on and on about how good Kentucky Fried Chicken skin is. He was just having a conversation off, <laughs> off air, off mic with Miss Movies. And, he, you know, he can't say a sentence without the fucking rolling in there. It's a comma yeah. to him. So I think the exact words that really upset the FCC in a number of markets were, uh, yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken skin is so fucking good. It's you have to just 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 eat the skin. It's so fucking good. So, you know, Upwards of a million people were probably hearing this <laughs> in the stars and That's in their great. house. Well, either so they were great. hoping to get some Billy Bush 
this is all before Billy Bush was, you know, talking with the soon to be president about grabbing puss. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, it, in, in hindsight, actually, it was kind of tame just talking about chicken skin. But yeah, so we got called in. I should have been fired on the spot, but I wasn't. Um, but my big boss was my friend. Uh, I started in radio with him on that, that show that I was telling you about. Yeah, I should tell you, too. I, I'm on opiates right now, so I might talk a lot and I'm that's drinking fine. coffee. Go ahead. OK, that's that's what the show's anyway. about, man. <laughs> So we're going to get we're going to get into we're going to get into why you are on those opiates in a moment when we get to the backstory. But I'm rarely on opiates. I hate them. No, th- I thank God. If, if I loved opiates, I would not be here with you right now. I would be one of the statistics statistics yeah. for sure. So Definitely. luckily, I hate them. I only take them like, a, you know, break class in, in case of emergency. So we're sitting there. Mike Carano, which is weird because he didn't even work for Westwood One, but he also was brought in. It was just your friend who at. was there. Yeah. And they brought him into. He, sh- he shouldn't have even been in the building. Right. So uh, but so he got called in to be, uh, you know, admonished as well, uh, punished. And our our my boss, my big, big boss was like, oh, here's the deal. You know, we go way back. So I'm just going to suspend you for three weeks. Turns out. And he knew this uh, Christmas vacation was coming up. I had already been paid for all of the best of work. So it was paid suspension for some, a, a time period that I wasn't going to be in there anyways. So I was not punished at all. I got I got yeah. away with murder and then we're about to leave. And I'm like, hey, while I got your ear, um, Mike and I have been thinking about doing a show, you know, add added bonus content to uh, for the website and whatnot for Loveline. What do you think? And he's like, I love it. Let's do it. So instead of getting in trouble, I walked out of there uh, and then with a new show. And that's how the after disaster was born. Yeah, and we were talking to Tyler about it because now he's the president of the AD, but he started as just the guy behind the glass to make sure the levels were all right and everything. Yeah, he was a board op, essentially. Yeah. is what I liked. I liked him hanging around. He's a smiley face, brings a uh, uh, a cheery disposition to the uh, to the otherwise downtrodden Mike Carano and I. But now now it's so interesting that it's, you know, over a decade later and that what the show's evolved into, because. I don't know if you get this, but it's weird. I'll listen to those old episodes when Tyler puts them up and it, I, I like re-listening to him because I've listened to so many of them so many times. It feels like that just happened like a couple weeks ago. And it's like, oh, that was 10 years ago or eight years ago or whatever. Like what, he, ha- that, what in particular happened? Oh, like well, when he when he just throws up the old be. episodes. Yeah. And then you'll yeah. hear like someone call in and it's like, oh, I know that person. But it's like, oh, they were on this one episode like seven years ago. It's like, God, it's like a song. Yeah. It's like so weird yeah. because. Because you guys talk about like meat juice guy and fluffernutter and all that stuff. It's like that's that's old hat to me because I've been around for so long with the after disaster. But it's like, oh, that was over a decade ago that you guys started. Oh, no, it this. sucks. It well, sucks. But was it weird? Is it weird now? Because I want to get into because the big thing that you do that everyone knows about, I obviously is the film vault and the podcasting and stuff. But you also make movies. You've, you've made a ton of shorts. You uh, had groupers, which is on Amazon Prime. Everyone go check that out. Uh, you got to pay for it again. My distributor switched that around. You can watch it on Tubi. Tubi, Tubi okay. is Tubi's a great one. The kids love the Tubi, Brennan. Uh, really? Tubi. It's all about AVOD, which is advertising video on demand. So you watch it on Tubi. It's free, but you got to watch commercial every like 30 minutes. Oh, that's but it's fun. fine. Yeah. And it's not like the olden days where TV, where they put a movie, you know, an R-rated movie that was made for theaters. And then they put it on your local, like, you know, network television uh, channel. 10 years later, but they edit it down and make it. Yeah, I was going to say everything rated, gets cut out. Yeah. And they cut things for the commercials, but that's not the way that Tubi goes. It's still un- unedited. They just drop in a commercial here and there. Okay. So, so everybody check it out on Tubi. I remember, but I, I, I know that was your your big thing. And now you're working on, uh, I don't know if you want to say it or not. Are you, you are working on another movie now or? Yeah. Uh, put a lot of work in last year on it uh obviously things and the year before things uh have gotten a little bit haywire for all of us uh yeah especially when you mix in a, a five-year-old who's now five but you know i got i'm a stay-at-home dad and he was home from school for a long time and uh i'm not making excuses these are all real things where like i couldn't follow through plus i got a wife who's not real keen on the idea of me um you know giving my life over to another movie that's independent move, uh, movies are not a way to uh to to rake in the big bucks and yeah. she's a little concerned about you know her future and my future once she retires and me just kind of languishing going i'm still making movies but <laughs> i can't well, help your, it what was your experience how do you so you've always loved movies anybody who listens to this knows you because a lot of my listeners are you know it's very 
and, and, and yeah, intertwines. I don't want to repeat myself. And I feel like I already told stories that have been told but, a number well, of times. I wanted to know how because this is something I've got a couple of things that have always stuck out to me that I've always kind of wanted to ask and just never had the opportunity to. So with the how did you originally you've always loved movies? I know that everyone knows that who knows you. How did you get into this idea of I want to make films because I it's 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 one of those things as someone who does stand up, people come up to me all the time. And they're like, oh, I'm the funniest guy at the office, but I can never get on stage. Like there is that weird trigger in someone's head where they go from, OK, I really like that stuff to now I'm going to produce that. Like I'm going to do that stuff. What was it for you where you were just like, no, fuck this. I'm going to make my own movies. Uh, I was standing at a urinal uh, peeing after having watched Midnight Cowboy for the first time on the big screen. I had seen okay. it a number of times, but no, I shouldn't say that probably a couple of times. But I, I they're rerunning it at, at this theater and I and I went and saw it. And how I, old were you? I just time? I don't know, probably 18, 19 oh, wow. years okay. old, maybe. And uh I, I remember just standing, it's one of those weird moments in your life. You never know, right? And there was I was just staring at the tile as I was peeing at the urinal, and I was still, you know, just incredibly moved by that movie because it's such a beautiful like love story between these two guys uh that i thought you know what it's a simple movie too but it affects me so profoundly and i want in i want to create something like that i had already had a, a profound respect for uh the directors and uh, the people behind the scenes i love the idea that you know th there's movie stars and there are most of them are attention whores you know yeah. most of them are like the youngest children and they're still you know going back to their days when they were children and you know doing a little song and dance for grandma because they they loved the attention and the accolade yeah. so much i loved the idea of the actual builders of these things that we're all so affected by these movies are behind the camera and you don't even see there a lot of the time especially when i first really got into movies like i couldn't even find pictures of the directors or the writers like the people that were responsible for the actual stories that i was responding to were behind the scenes and they didn't need all of the uh, attention and i something was so cool about that uh so well and i know you talk about the film vault being a service and it's kind of a running joke but to be honest with you everything i know about like producers and directors for the most part the reason i got into that kind of stuff was because of the film vault where you guys would yeah. always talk about like oh this director or that director and that was the first time where i was like oh directors have style and so if uh person a is directing this movie you know it's going to have a style versus person b and i never even thought of that because i was so you know i guess just stupid when it came to movies i was like oh you know you just make a movie and it doesn't matter who the director is or whatever because it's just you the actors follow it's the script about the like, actors and the story yeah yeah, yeah like that's what i always on, but... thought and then listening to you guys i was like oh wait like james gunn versus you know stanley kubrick is like those are two totally different yeah it's like authors. It's like painters. It's like anything in the arts, right? Like you got to have different styles, different yeah. fingerprints. And that's another reason why I'm just, I'm just really, I don't know, don't get me started with Marvel, but none of that is with Marvel. I mean, Marvel and the stories and all that is just like what you said. There's very little style we had now. I, I, I don't want, you know, Marvel maniacs to, to come at me and be like, well, you know, actually when the, uh, the Russo brothers, do, I don't, but you don't go to see a movie because of who's directing when you're going to see a Marvel movie. And that's yeah. not what got me into movies. That's not what, yeah. Well, as a big a star, as a big Star Wars fan, I, I I noticed it because of the the three that just came out, the seven, eight, nine, and then versus Mandalorian versus you know what I mean, Rogue One. Like because of the people who were in charge, you could really like tell like some are way better than the others, and it's yeah. kind of and there's scenes you can tell where like they get okay, like you you can kind of go hog wild with this scene and then Mickey's going to direct the rest of the movie or keep yeah. keep you in line at least. So yeah. So yeah, it's, it's all it's all very interesting. But like the the best was like the sixties and then the seventies with the auteurs and they're all yep. you know young and coming out and, and getting people excited about movies because movies were like, movies have been in, in flux and and in jeopardy for a long, long time. Uh you know, ever since TV found its way into the American home or it's been it's been on on the you know defense essentially and it's, you got to give an excuse for people to leave their house and now more so than ever because yeah with the streaming. on demand and streaming and everything and the so giant flat screens that everyone has yeah so you were 18 you're standing at the urinal and you think i, I want to do that so then you yeah, decide it was to go also to... right around the time i, I was working uh at the Cuso society at the time oh for yeah like a year and a half a couple of years i worked over there and it it was when I still were going to do marine a, biology. 
Yeah, I loved I love marine biology, and I found I just went down and knocked on the door at the LA office, uh, the Cousteau Society there, and they 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 took me in, which was great because I loved I I was I was pretty uh, uh what do you call it? persistent back then, much more yeah. so than I am I, I would be now, but I I was too young to know any better, right? Like it would never occur to me to go knock on a door or of a you know place today, but back then it's like oh I found out where Cousteau is. I'm going to go knock on the door and see if they could use my help for free. I get, I get I get shit for that all the time because in comedy, I do that constantly. It's like, oh, I it run works. into like a major comic and I'm like, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? And people are like, you don't just act like yeah. you don't do. And I'm like, why not? Like, what what else and, am I going to do? When I hear that, Brennan, when I'm out there in the, in the wild, especially when we used to do uh, the after disaster at the uh, the Hollywood Improv regularly, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would I would hear people like you in the parking lot like approaching uh, you know, stand-ups like big stand-ups and like david tell and like he'd just be trying to go from the front door to his car and like two or three people hey dave will you be on my podcast and i'm yeah. just cringe I'm like, yeah. oh, fuck. Yeah, i, I always I, I always make sure to build a rapport first before i ask like i've, I've gotten I'm, I'm smart enough now to be like all right well make sure you get to know people before you ask a little but, bit, yeah but i totally understand that idea of like well what else am i gonna do i might as well just go knock on the door and be like hey what's up i don't think i've ever said those words when I wasn't, you know, imitating somebody else, like, do you, would you like to be on my podcast? I've never said that. I should. I, I might have um, to Bill Burr, but I think he had already heard that he was supposed to be on our podcast because our producer had reached out to him, and then I was talking to him about what we might talk. Bill Burr uh, and I were talking about what what topic he would cover on the show, but I didn't say, "Will you be?" Yeah, the film vault. We're still going to get him on. I think one of these days. We just should. don't do guests right now. Yeah, I'm trying to get him on. I'm trying to get him on over here too. See, look at that. World's colliding. Yeah. But yeah, so I was at Cousteau. Cousteau went down uh, the drains while I was there. For a while, it seemed like I had the anti-Midas touch, like everything that I became associated with, like would just go away. Like <laughs> It would just stop. It was weird. Like things that have been there forever. Uh, like, legacies like Cousteau like ended while I was in the building. But uh, one of the guys, Elliot was his name, Elliot Cowan. We should look him up. He said, hey, you know, now that uh, Cousteau's, uh, the office is closing up. This is during the L.A. riots. It's right around that time, early 90s. Oh, God, yeah. He said, if you have any interest in movies, um, you, you, I got a friend who's producing one, and, and you, I can get you on set to, to do something because we know how what a good worker you are. And I'm like, that's random, and I do love movies. And never th- I, honestly, Brennan, it's foolishly, I thought it, it wouldn't be. I got this German-Irish thing. Uh, where I feel like everything has to be harder than it really needs yeah. to be. I don't take the easy route. And from the time that I fell in love with movies as a kid, like most of us did, I had a real, real connection, like a real passion for them. Uh, a lot of that's because my my dad would take me to R-rated movies when I was really young. So they would impact me, I think, more than, than most people uh, because I had such exposure at such a young age. But I would let it would cross my mind. I'd be like, oh, maybe making movies. And I'm like, no, that's too easy. That's fun. You, yeah. you got to do something hard for a living. Like be a scientist. Yeah. Study sharks and, you it's know, the, beg I'm, for grants. I'm Serbian. So I, I understand. I understand. Uh, you kind of got this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that same mindset. The, everything's got to be difficult. There's nothing easy in life. My best uh, film friend is uh, Serbian. Uh, yeah. Milan. Milan Janison. So anyways, uh, he, he said, hey, you want to get on the set? I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's let's do it. It was back at a time where I could still volunteer my time for like hours, you know, yeah. a day, like 12 hours a day and still get by, you know, uh, when gas was cheap and I barely ate. Uh, <laughs> so I went to the set. I ended up uh, working for, I don't know, six, three, three months on this. I don't know. I worked a lot on this on this movie for free. And then I worked my way up on the movie. It turned out uh, it was a movie called uh, And God Spoke, which is kind of. You know, like every industry has their little movie, like Slapshot is like yeah. for hockey players. Okay. And God Spoke is that for filmmakers, which is kind of weird that that was the very first time I'd ever worked on a movie. Oh, wow. That is serendipitous. And uh, it was very confusing because it's a movie about making a movie. So it's a mockumentary. And I couldn't tell what was real, what wasn't. I was like <laughs> walking into frame because I thought they were just having a conversation. I didn't notice that they had a camera set up. But it was uh, it, it was eye opening for sure. And then I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. I want to do more of this. And I don't know, 20 short years later, I made a movie. <laughs> well, you went to uh, you did end up going to film school and everything like that with uh, yeah. Spielberg. Everybody knows that story. You went to film school with Steven yeah. Spielberg, he handed which in- makes me sound very fucking old. Yeah. Yeah. But he handed in E.T. as his uh, final project. That's not even fair. Uh, it's not. It's not. I, I make the joke that it's really unfair because they graded on a curve, but they <laughs> they didn't grade on a curve. No, it was it was just one of those weird uh, uh things where 
film school at least at long beach where, where i went it starts off with 250 people in a symposium and you know there's so many burnouts that think they, they want to go to film school or that'll be their major because it's for dudes it's film school for girls it's psychology i noticed yeah. that at least that's the way, the way it was when i was in college and if you can't figure it out you're trying to figure things out dudes want to sit around and watch movies while they figure out what they want to do and the, the, the ladies seem to like want to figure out themselves uh, that's that was the trend when I was there at Long Beach at the place. I'm not generalizing. I'm just saying what I saw. Yeah. Uh, so we had 250 burnouts, you know, in this film symposium. And then they they pared it down from there to 125 that made the cut. And then they pared it down to 50 uh, for the following semester. And then finally, they pared it down to 12 of us that were actually in the production class or okay. 20 of us. But 12 of us got to make films. And it's a really tight knit group. And um, I saw the roll call uh, uh, one day uh, and I said, who is this like? 13th student who's making films and is part of the production class and uh it turned out that it was steven spielberg and he had he had uh applied he got years prior he at, was at long beach state uh, film program and they kicked him out they said oh, hey you have okay. no talent you uh you should bail and he went on and to do other things so but to to set an example for his kids he wanted to go back to school and finish i was gonna say because there was a reason he went back yeah okay so that that was the whole reason i was gonna say because at that point he was already making movies like it didn't matter yeah it didn't matter at all but he wanted to do it to show the follow-through and, and and the importance of education i guess i don't know but he he actually was in the class wasn't honorary like he was getting the homework assignments and turning things in and my poor professor like had to be grading his shit and then uh, he didn't show up until uh, the graduation day. That was the only day that we ever saw him. And he showed up and walked with our little program, which was like, I don't know, 12, 13, 15 of us. God, that's it was crazy. Weird. Yeah. So then after that, when did you start making the shorts and stuff? Uh, that was because that I mean, I want to say that was only a few years ago. But like I said, it all kind of blurs together. That must have you must have started doing the shorts a while ago, like Mormon and all those. Well, I did uh, a bunch of shorts and stuff, obviously, in film school. That's where it yeah. all began. And I wasn't one of those kids that grabbed, like, you know, the 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 Super 8 or High 8 or, you know, cheap. Back in the day, it was Super 8 film that you would you know, have have a camera laying around the house. But but then it became video. And I just hated the way it looked. And I say this to, to people that want to become filmmakers or are thinking about getting into it. And that's like, just start as early as you can. And try not to fall in love with the masters until later, because I gravitated towards and fell head over heels in love with Stanley Kubrick at too young of an age. And it's an, it's daunting and intimidating to to be looking at that and kind of holding that as the standard. Whereas if you fall in love with a John Carpenter or something who makes very attainable movies, accessible movies and small movies, uh, not all of them are, but a lot of them are or, or like early Peter Jackson work or you know horror films that you can have fun making something that kind of looks like that with your friends with a video camera don't be precious about your early work and i was just so intimidated i didn't want to like make something that looked comically bad yeah uh, so i really didn't mess around i did a lot of writing but i took the other route brennan which was uh hey i'm just gonna experience as much of life as possible and be able to tell stories later that was kind of my route and uh hey you can call it rationalization if you like because it led to a whole <laughs> lot of partying and uh and drinking and 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 whatnot but yeah that was the route that i took was i tried to experience uh, as much as i could as a you know white suburbanite kid growing up in the 90s but there was very few things that i shied away from or didn't try to experience at least once growing up because i wanted to be able to write about it later yeah and i still don't get these like these these filmmakers that are like 22 years old straight out of usc and uh it happens a little less now, but like back in the day, like studios would just throw the world at them and say, Hey, you know, tell us your experience. And it's like, I don't really care what a 22 year old who's been sheltered and went to USC has to say, you know yeah. what I mean? Like they haven't lived life. Well, it's funny you bring that up because that was the whole thing. I get into that conversation, you know, with sponsees and with people in the program and stuff too. It's like, you know, you can't my entire, like, I think about it all the time. Like, what if I never, cause I hated drinking when I was in high school, I always thought like, Oh my God, it makes people act crazy. Like I'll never do that. And then I got out of control, obviously. And people say all the time, like, well, what if you never took that route? Like, what if you never got out of control? And I always think about it. And I'm like, well, my entire set list now is all stories based off of getting out of control. Like, you know, it's all based off those experiences. So had none of that happened. Yeah. My life would be a lot different, but at the same time, I wouldn't have any of the experiences that I have now, which is like what you used to write about. 
I still do write about it. Like, yeah, um, you know, I'm not Bukowski or anything. I didn't go to those lengths, but uh, yeah, I think the, it is so funny because so many kids at my high school were the same way. Cause I started pretty early and so many of those kids would give me shit and look down on me and just think of me as a degenerate. And then I'd see him years later and they were completely burnt out and just yeah. like alcoholics. And, and as I go, and so I, she was on the other yeah, side now. The best part about uh, considering yourself a writer, and you're not really a writer until you actually sell something. And I still technically have, and I'm, you know, I, I, I haven't really broke even really with any of my uh, film endeavors. So I'm not a filmmaker first, even though that's my main passion. I'm still like a hobbyist more than anything else. It hurts to say that, but it's, it's true. Uh, until I actually, you know, sell something beyond, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But yeah, there's, it's, it's still a, a work in progress for sure. Always will be. Yeah. So I wanted to get into some of those stories because we were we were talking about the opiates earlier. And uh, the reason why you um, basically have to break glass in case of emergency is because of your broken back. Which you got falling two two stories, three stories. What was it? Four and a half, four and a half. So I wanted to definitely get into that. I know some of the listeners have heard it before because I said we do have some crossover with AD listeners. But what? You're poaching? No, 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 no. They just, they, you should see my numbers when I had Mike and Ty Ty on. They only listen to the episodes you guys are on and then they bail out. Mm. Um, but take everybody. Sorry through. for, sorry for repeating everything that I just repeated because everything I've said to you so far, I don't think there's anything new there. No, it's all, but I, I enjoy it. And there are a couple of things I wanted to get to, which the broken back is definitely one of them because that you should be dead for those. I mean, for multiple reasons, but that's definitely probably the biggest one. What you were 23, 24 when this happened? 22, 22. Okay. So you would, you would, you were, you were out of film school. You were experiencing life. You were doing that whole thing. No, and, no, no, no. I went to film school a little bit after I was in college, but I hadn't okay. gotten into the four year yet. Cause I was, <sighs> yeah, I made it a sport. I, I thought that I was a genius. I was not in any rush to it adulthood and my best friend at the time was in a rush like he he graduated high school a year early he went straight to uh sdsu where he graduated early and then he went straight to pepperdine law school and i saw all the work he was putting in and he couldn't wait to wear a suit and get in the office and i'm like i grew up as a punk rock gutter kid you know rebelling against the suburbanite life that i was afforded and i looking back i realized how, how foolish that is but we all have our own shit and i you know i had a pretty crazy uh household that i grew up in yeah. with a psychologist for a dad who was an insane person uh, uh I, I, I mean he had zero anger management skills yet he he taught anger management <laughs> he taught not only did he administer anger management to his clients to his patients but he taught other psychologists and psychiatrists anger management skills to use with their patients so, I mean, that made me just not think that the system or the conventional wisdom or anything that was in place was to be trusted. You know, that was a very early uh, lesson that I got. I'm like, really? Because, I mean, he had no anger. Like, we'd be in public. We'd be in the supermarket. And I'd do something he didn't like. And he would just be fucking furious, screaming, manhandling me. So, yeah, I grew up in a, a, and a, a lot of, a lot of re a rebellion, I guess, uh, took place for sure. But... Uh, I, I was uh, a punk kid and I, and I couldn't imagine myself being an adult and I hated the idea of being an adult. And I thought most adults were full of shit. And I thought most of them were assholes because they were. Yeah. Especially back in the seventies and eighties. I mean, adults were just assholes. Yeah. They weren't, there was none of this uh, care about your feelings kind of stuff that we have now. No. Yeah. They, they're just mean. So I was in no rush. And I, what I did was I was just touring uh, various junior colleges and uh, I probably, I think I went to five. I would just, every semester I enroll into a new junior college and I always worked. I always had jobs. Yeah. So I could, you know, hold my own. But uh, that was right around the time that I, I uh, broke my back was I was in the middle of my, uh, my grand tour of Southern California uh, junior colleges. And uh, that all screeched to a halt with that, uh, with a broken back. So so yeah, what happened? It was you were I wanted to just get the full story because we've always I've always heard you reference your broken back. I've always heard you talk about falling out of a building and stuff. But I, I, I think you've only ever told the entire story once on one of the 80s. And it was actually a recent one, a couple of maybe. Yeah. Not in the last two years ago. Yeah. So I wanted the my listeners to hear that story because to me it was insane. And I've had people on here talk about crazy stories like drinking and drugs and all that kind of stuff. But but you literally fell 
50 feet out of a building. So what what happened? Take us take us through well, what, the, what's going on. The balconies broke my fall, to be fair. So I didn't <laughs> I didn't fall straight. I probably would definitely be dead if it was just a straight plummet from four and a half uh, stories. I do you run video on this or is this just no. so that you and I can. OK, good. So no one can see me smoking my smoking your douchey pipe, your new pipe, douchey pipe. Mm. OK, cool. Uh, yeah, I was, I was out with a girl that I just met 10 days prior or no, uh, I met her on the 15th. So I had met her 16 days prior cause it was new year's Eve, uh, 1995 about to be 1996. And, uh, I was with my very good friend of mine, Max, who is a very particular type of guy. Uh, and just the best salt of the earth. He's like a Spicoli kind of, but, yeah. but really smart and wanted to be a dignitary, uh, and uh, so it's him and his girlfriend. And then uh, this girl that I just met 16 days ago at a movie theater. Uh, she was the manager of a movie theater. Yeah, she was, uh, of course. And uh, so we decided to get a hotel room up uh, 30 minutes north of where we all resided at, and have a party for uh, New Year's Eve. And we 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 imbibed a lot and we, we we took a number of things, including things that make things not seem quite so real. And we it was just one of those dumb nights we were young you know 22 years old and i remember i had a jug it's one of those jugs like from a milk jug with a handle and yeah. we had filled it with jungle juice somehow. yeah and we walked from the pierpont in ventura which was our hotel up to another hotel which uh coincidentally is the hotel that's featured at the end of little miss sunshine it's right there with the on the ocean and there's parties going on over there and uh we're 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 feeling it and there's a lot of stuff going on i remember trying to incite a riot at one point and i'm not joking like that was what, a good idea yeah what happened i just quick aside what do you mean trying to start try to incite a riot i was getting the bartenders to pour me shots like in the little sugar you know how they uh, the we're in a, the restaurant slash bar and you know how they put the sugar packets in those little yeah little little cups on the table i was removing those after making a grand design that other people were interested in for some reason i don't know maybe i just thought they were in my head but i made some grand design that was going to open something else up it all made sense at the time and then i was getting them to pour me free shots into these things and i was drinking those the sugar caddies yeah the sugar cat exactly and i was explaining to them that uh that it sucks that their boss makes them work on new year's eve when they should be out there having fun with their friends instead of serving people like me and and somehow I talked them into giving all of us free booze for most of the night. And, uh, and then it occurred to me that, oh, only the uh, the rookie cops are working tonight. So it's a perfect <laughs> night to really do some shit because, you know, like the cops that are working on New Year's Eve or, you know, they they pulled the, the the small stick, the short stick. So I thought it would be a good idea. Somehow I then got into a fight. I remember jumping off of a, a bench, like propelling myself, like launching myself into somebody and tackling them. And then it got broken up real quick and then i apologized i'm like i don't know i was just a total total fucking idiot but i was having a great time and then the four of us you know we were two couples essentially we walked back to our hotel about a mile away back in the day you used to just walk everywhere yeah and uh everyone and, and everyone wanted to go to bed i'm like what are you talking about it was like <laughs> 2 33 in the morning i'm like we're not going to bed it's like let's keep we're having just fun. getting was, started yeah so uh they were like okay i was always that guy at the party that couldn't just say and i'm still kind of i have a hard time just saying you know our party's over let's like you know call it quits i i just want to keep going and going i don't know how to stop i don't know how to stop anything that's one of my biggest problems like if i'm fasting if i'm not eating i have a hard time eating like if i've yeah. if i haven't eaten anything in 24 hours i want to go like four days i, I want to just keep it going or if i'm eating i don't want to stop eating it's, it's a problem that i have um but I decided, all right, I'm going to have my own party and I'm going to climb um, from one balcony to the next, pull myself. I was, I was in very good shape back then. I used to do this kind of shit all the time, like climb the sides of buildings. and Yeah, parkour well, before, before it was like a thing. Before parkour, yeah, exactly. It was parkour kind of before. And that was, my dad was overprotective with things and he was like, you got to be safe. You got to be careful. Oh, careful. And then, so I would always just do stupid shit whenever he wasn't around, which looking back, is just absurd. But yeah, so I propelled myself and I was one balcony to the next. You know, I'm on strangers' balconies. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, just climbing. I, I don't know if anyone like three in the morning, what the fuck is that? You know, looked out and saw some asshole, you know, up on their balcony, then going to the next one. So I was up to the roof. I was going to watch the sunrise by myself on the roof of this uh, hotel. And uh, it was the very, it was the, the roof. I had gotten there and I was pulling myself up. I threw my leg up and it was 
already kind of it's by the ocean and it was already kind of condensation was occurring and there was dew my fingers slipped uh, oh, i shit. just lost my grip and i remember seeing feeling weightlessness and seeing my foot above my head that's kind of the last thing i remember and then um landing on on the ground which was subterranean it was kind of like down in a level where there wasn't any open sky it was like surrounded by buildings and the the uh there's a sprinkler i was on dirt and there was a sprinkler spigot that was right in between my chest and my arm so like it was one of those things where it could have easily broken my arm very badly or impaled me right yeah uh, and killed Jesus. me so i open my have you ever broken a bone uh no just like my fingers and stuff but never like significant but you've broken a finger yeah 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 because like you have to have broken a bone to understand what what I'm, this part, which is when you break a bone, you can every time your heart pumps, you can feel the blood going oh, yeah. in new directions. Yeah. And yeah, it yeah. feels like kind of like electricity almost. It yeah. feels it feels weird. It feels like a little jolt of electricity. So that was happening every time my heart beated beat. But uh, it was in my body. It was in the core of my body because my sternum was also broken. And two of my vertebrae, one was crushed and the other one was just badly fractured. And I saw so I was feeling that in the center of my body. And because of my mind, what was being done to it at the time, because of earlier in that night and what I had subjected it to, um, I wasn't thinking clearly. So what I thought was, oh, this feeling that I'm having, I've never experienced anything like this. It's horrible. It's awful. But this must be what death feels like. It's like you're I'm, dead. And I could hear the freeway, which isn't too far from the Pierpont Hotel in the distance, but it sounded more like uh, atmospheric droning. And I'm like, I, I am in hell. And I really <laughs> thought that I was in hell. And I probably spent, I don't know, a, two, a good two minutes on the ground going, fuck, I'm in hell. This is this is, this is bad. Cool. <laughs> Why did I do this? And I'm mad at myself for, you know, ending my life early by trying to get to the roof and being stupid. It was one of those moments where like, you know, you do stupid shit and it's all great until it's not. And then you yeah. get mad at yourself about it. You it's know, all fun until somebody listen. gets hurt. Yeah, exactly. So I was kind of beating myself over my head for putting myself in hell prematurely. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to kind of try and set the, <laughs> uh, set the tone with uh, who I'm going to be down here by getting up and already doing what I want to do, which right now I've got to pee. So I'm going to stand up and just pee in hell. It's one of the very first things I'm going to do. So I got myself up off the ground and I went over and I peed. And uh, as I was peeing on the bush, I'm like, it's kind of weird for them to have like a, a bush in hell. And <laughs> oh look, there's a sprinkler right there that I used to get my, this isn't hell. I'm just really fucking broken right now. So I, I felt the extreme pain shooting through my body. And I, I laid back down, no blood. I had a little bit of blood on one of my fingers. That was it. That was it. Uh, All internal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all internal. So I lay back down because now the pain is really starting to, you know, the shock. I'm still in shock, but usually it's a couple minutes after the injury where the pain really starts to come on. Right. Oh, yeah. And as a football player, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, and as a football player, I you probably get this, too. Like as when I was playing football, I learned to put in all sports. I learned to put pain in skateboarding. If it's an appendage that I'm dealing with, like a really hurt arm or a really hurt leg i can kind of put that out of my head yeah compartmentalize it. it yeah yeah and just almost like it doesn't i can almost get to a place where i don't even feel it because it's yeah. like beyond my body can't do that with anything down the middle everything oh down the i middle, didn't even I cannot, think about that yeah because that's I, and that's something that goes on today and i'm dealing with it as i sit here talking to you i hate to say it but 26 years later or whatever however long it's been oh fuck how long has it been anyways so I lay back down and I'm just moaning and my, my friends are all in bed, like, you know, in a different part of the hotel way down the way. And, uh, luckily Max came out looking for me. I, and, uh, Max is a very particular type of guy. Like I said, and he's like, Oh dude, are you hurt? You fell. You're all right. Let me check you out. Roll over. So he rolls me over and he's on my back and he's like, let me just check out your back, bro. I used to be a lifeguard. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he's feeling around on my back and he goes, dude, you sound, you feel good. I think he just got the, the wind knocked out of you. Come on. So he gets me up on my feet. He takes me up the stairs to our room. And I remember his girlfriend who never liked me was very upset. And she's like, what is he doing? And Max like, he just fell. He's all right though. And then I laid down on the bed and it was, I still think it was like the soft, this bed i've ever been in it was, it was so painful to lay in this bed with the uh the broken shards of uh, bone in my body so i tried that for probably about five minutes hoping to just go to sleep and wake up yeah. and everything's fine yeah and 
it was probably about five minutes. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I hate to do this. I know we've been partying. I hate to some, be that somebody, guy. Somebody's got to drive me to the hospital here. And uh, his girlfriend was very upset. I don't think she was even partying that night, actually. Shannon. Anyways, they drive me to the local hospital. And uh, ultimately, I find out that I, I broke my back. And then they transfer me to another hospital. And I have a surgery and I'm off my... I can't even... I, I'm very lucky to be alive, let alone walking and all that other stuff. So yeah, shards, shards of um vertebrae were actually in between my heart and my lungs another like just just near miss yeah or near hit as george carlin would say yeah because you've got you've got um you've got the uh electronic pack in your back right like the little yeah uh, so the first surgery i had two major surgeries the first one didn't take the metal was actually they had hooks in my i i I hate to get all grisly with with this kind of stuff but there was a, a metal a bunch of metal and clamps and whatnot and they were not taking to my my body they were uh coming out of the bone that they're in ever they were the contrarian through the skin uh and so i had to go and get another doc uh doctor do a whole nother surgery like almost exactly a year later where they had to re-break my back they took out a rib and they used that rib almost like cement took out one of my vertebrae put the mashed up rib where the vertebrae used to be more screws and he did everything, took out all the old doctor stuff, but he forgot about the little battery packed uh, bone. It was supposed to stimulate bone growth. And it was like a little computer chip at the base of my back. He forgot to take that out. So that's still in there. And oh, uh, I worry that maybe it's going to break down and cause more damage. It's right where I have all the pain, which is strangely in my lower back. Now, my, my upper back is where all the breaks were, but it's the lower back that's, you know, co- overcompensating now. Have you looked into just getting it taken out? I can't remember if you've talked about that before. Nate. Yeah, I, I called the Dr. Nelson who forgot to take it out. He was showing me the, the x-rays after the surgery. You know, I'm off my feet again. I literally lay in bed for 14 days, I think, before they actually got me off the hospital bed. This the second surgery. I was in the hospital for like three plus weeks, both times. Uh, but yeah, he's showing me the showing me his new work and all the screws and all that. And I'm like, hey, the uh, computer chip's still there. Dr. Borelli's computer chip. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to take that. Just come back, schedule it, and we'll, we'll get it out of there. And I mean, I just, just did. <laughs> <laughs> so now here we are a couple decades later, and I, I find Dr. Nelson, and I call up his place. I'm like, hey, can he take this out? They're like, no. It's, it, that time, that, that ship has sailed. Yeah, That's that was, yours now. I'm like, I don't want it in here. What do I do? Now. That's funny. <laughs> I wanted to, um, because you mentioned uh, a little earlier, and this is a conversation that I've had with a few people on this show about how, like, once you start doing something, whether it's fasting or eating or anything, you kind of keep going. Um, I wanted to ask you, so working on Loveline, as long as you did, being around Dr. Drew with, you know, he deals with addicts and alcoholics and everything like that. And then I've heard stories that you've told about doing different various kinds of, like, drugs and stuff, but you never seem to... uh knowing you as long as I have and everything, you never seem to have had a, a problem with it as far as like, like me as an addict, like once I start drinking, like my entire life is over. And I've done like, I've learned that through experience, but yeah. you, you still like have a couple of drinks with your friends and like still hang out and everything. So I I've always been curious as to what do you attribute that to? Because you have an addictive personality. It seems when yeah. it comes to certain things, but you've just never been bothered by like, I mean, I can't speak to it, because I don't know, but it just seems like you've always never had a problem with drugs or alcohol with that. Uh, I, I, what I, I want to get to, and I know that I can't believe what time it is already, but yeah, uh, we've got about 15 minutes. I was actually thinking about a lot just over the last couple of days, knowing that I could be sitting down talking to you. And, you know, it's so easy for now I'm a parent and I, and I, you know, I'm worried about my own son growing up and having some of the same tendencies. And it's real easy for, for adults to say oh you know you're just a rebellious youth and you're rebelling and there are looking back on it there is some of that i think uh, is true for sure but with myself personally i can tell you that my main motivation in all of the drug use that i did and uh abuse was trying to become like a like a different person like yeah. I just wanted a, not even like that. I hated myself, even though there was some self-loathing for sure. We all have that. I think growing up, but I didn't like my day-to-day existence so much that I, I really thought that I could change the chemistry somehow, or I could find that magic pill that would make everything. And a lot of people, they smoke weed for the first time and it's just like bliss. And like, that's them. And now they're, they're stoners. And like life is different. I didn't get that with weed. I just, you know, got hungry and laughed a lot, but, uh, I was now I become autistic when I smoke weed. I can't at all. I don't know what happened with my brain, but 
I was looking for something that would actually change my personality and help me not sweat everything as much as I did. Cause I've always been exceptionally sensitive for lack of a better term. And uh, I affect deeply to, I am affected deeply by things that other people just kind of go over. I have a really hard time. I see it with my own son. So I think it's a genetic, genetic yeah. thing. And I was really hoping to get to like, not to bring Spicoli up again, but here we go. So hoping to get to a place where I could be like more like Spicoli where like everything's just like, you know, surface and fun yeah. and nice and not I get think about so that all the time because that, that whole idea of like pabs. And I know like it came about as a joke, but that's been me my whole life is I'm always super sensitive. I always like take things like to heart things that people like just mention like the, in passing, someone will say something. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, fuck, like, what, what does that mean? Do they not like me? What should I do something different? Like, I completely understand that logic. That yeah, mindset. there's there's that for sure. The second guessing. And it, it, it's almost like that's that's a little different. Like you're on a different plane and you're, you're thinking things all the way through, whereas a lot of people are very flippant. And I and I am I, I just last night I read um, Star Child uh, to, to, to my son because uh, I always read to him right before he goes to sleep. And it's from that movie. Come on, come on, which I highly recommend. Uh, really good movie. Come on, come on. And he, right, he reads his nephew uh, Star Child in there. And it, it's it's just a, a little book. It's like a three minute read. And it's about a kid, you know, a, a being being up in the stars and wanting to see the earth. And it's a very profound little book, but it's about how they left the stars to come to earth for a short while to live a life and learn to walk and talk and, and become a parent themselves and all that. And I was kind of tearing up while I was reading it, just like Joaquin Phoenix did in, in the movie. And Atticus, my five-year-old, he got real quiet and then he got fidgety and then he just didn't want to talk to me after the book was over and he was really weird with it. And he's got the same thing. He's got the, the same like over-emotional sensitive thing. My dad used to scream at me, you're so goddamn sensitive. Stop being so goddamn sensitive. Oh, and he, Anderson. You can't, you can't turn it off. So I was hoping to turn it off with, uh, with drug abuse. I really naively believed that if, first of all, it was fun doing it with my friends and feeling like we were... I mean, drinking has never been as fun as before I was 21. Once I turned 21, drinking has been way less fun. Yeah, uh, for, sure, for sure. Because it's not illegal anymore. Uh, it, there's always that we doing, getting away with something. But uh, I was hoping to change my personality. And ultimately, I did. Um, I suffered until fairly recently from bouts of depression. And I blame that on uh, on the, the, the hardcore drug abuse, especially the stimulants and the uh, and the, all the MDMA that I did for those few years. And I would go uh, just wild mood swings until probably about five years ago. I finally am I'm coming back down to earth, but yeah, it, it changed me for the worse for sure. And it's been a struggle. Um, yeah. As far as your question, being able to, uh, with the hardcore stuff, the stuff that I really probably would have spun out of control uh, with, which is stimulants and, and cocaine. Uh, I had a real simple rule, which was don't have, uh, a dealer's phone number that was it oh really i would always get it through friends and that was always awkward and kind of like eh, i hate asking for things but i would meet dealers all the time like at parties and raves and like they give me their number and then i would sober up the next day feel like shit and throw it away i just oh, didn't see, want to have yeah, that's real smart i didn't want to be able to get it uh, if, if you could buy cocaine in uh the local uh, 7-eleven i'm dead right now. <laughs> yeah well I'm, no and sure. I, I laugh but that's true because I think you and I have uh, similar personalities in some ways. And like, I hate asking for favors from people. So it's like one of those things where it's like, if I don't have the dealer's number and I have to ask somebody to ask somebody to get me the stuff, it's like, I'm just not even yeah. going to ask for it. Like I just won't get it. Or you might because it's a special occasions coming up and you'll get like an eight ball or two, yeah. right? but it's always an arduous process and you got to go through this person instead of just like calling straight up. And I realized that early on, like, Hey, if, if you if you can just get this snap of a finger you're fucked so i was careful not to ever do that plus most drug dealers they're not very fun yeah they're not they're I they're kind yeah. of pieces of shit yeah and i don't need those in my life so it wasn't that hard to keep those those guys out of my life damn but yeah so i wanted to um there's one story that tyler brought up when he was on the show and it's a story that i remember we've talked about or you guys have talked about before but i, I didn't know the full version now, I don't know if this is an ex drinking buddy kind of story, like if it had to do with drugs or drinking or anything like that. The Maglite story where you and Tyler really connected, where you ended up in the hospital. Yeah. What was that? What what ended up happening with that? What was that? Did you like hit a guy's car or something and then he hit you over the yeah, head? Yeah, I was on my way to Loveline. It was uh, Super Bowl. 
2007, I guess. And I watched the Super Bowl uh, with uh, some of my buddies down in um, Redondo Beach, I think it was, or Newport, somewhere in the South Bay. And then I went home, my wife, who's then my girlfriend, and I just moved in together in, in Hollywood and uh, unimportant. Uh, and I went home, grabbed Stanley, uh, who was my dog that I brought with me everywhere. And then was on my way to work, uh, Loveline. And I don't remember anything other than a brief encounter with a guy after my car hit his um Winnebago. He lived in a uh, in a in a Winnebago RV on the side of Venice Boulevard. And uh I remember being out of my totaled car and him grabbing me and hitting me. And then I don't remember anything after that until I woke up in the hospital and I was kind of like in a lot of pain and uh, Tyler was there and I said, let's get the fuck out of here. What's going on? Uh, and uh, I still don't know to this day, like how I hit that guys. If I swerved, I lost my cell phone. I never saw it again. The phone that I had with me. I don't know if, it, if I was obviously I was at fault because I hit a parked vehicle, a yeah. large parked vehicle hard. Uh, but I don't know what led to that. I mean, it's just gone. Most of that day is gone. Um, I, I had such the impact of the car accident itself. And then the mag light, uh, hits to the head. I had staples in my, in my head, obviously a concussion and probably some brain damage, but, uh, I don't know. And, uh, and then that poor guy got, uh, convicted of, <laughs> of hitting me. And I met him at the first court date. I, I didn't even know, you know, what he looked like at all. Yeah. And he came over and he said hello to me. And, uh, he said hello. Like he introduced he himself. Like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, he apologized for hitting me, and then my pros the prosecutor came over. So why are you talking to him? Don't talk to him. And I'm like, well, I never met him. I was kind of curious. I asked when I had to go up on the stand, and they were showing me the pictures, which were horrific of my, you know, cut open, broken open head. I said, yeah, but you know, I hit his car, and he was probably asleep. And you know, people do weird things, and I don't, honestly don't know if I was being an a hole when I, I doubt it. But I, it's one of those things I don't know. I wasn't drunk. I would have been arrested and, and you know charged. Obviously, yeah. if I was drunk. I wasn't. I had had like maybe a beer with my lunch earlier that i know i was working love line that night so i couldn't be like you know tying them Hammered, on at the yeah. uh, uh at the restaurant where i was watching the super bowl with friends it was when it was the super bowl where the uh, giants came back and beat the uh the patriots oh, a bunch of money yeah i know that super bowl and the helmet catch tyree's helmet catch i don't remember that see i don't remember the yeah, game i remember winning a bunch of money but <laughs> uh but, but yeah know, what ended up happening to know. the guy did the guy get the guy got prosecuted What's weird is I saw that guy a few months later driving a, uh, a a very nice convertible down Venice Beach with a young girl down Venice Boulevard. And he was like singing and just enjoying himself. He's a very particular looking type of guy. Yes. Yeah, so and I'm like, oh, my was. God, there's the guy that that hit me. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. But then Tyler came. My wife was working nights at the time. So obviously I didn't do Love Line. Tyler came, picked me up after Love Line. He took me back. I think Tyler stayed with me to make sure I was OK. Yeah, he did. He and, talked about that. He said that was kind of the the moment when you guys kind of like really bonded was that yeah we had already gone out a few times like we yeah. would go out after love line and take them to my local bar and uh, we'd have a couple drinks because by the time you get off love line like we wouldn't get to the bar till 12 31 o'clock we'd be there just in time for last call so yeah like a drink or two and uh, call the night and he came around a few times but yeah it wasn't until he actually was there to help me and i made him go take me back out <laughs> my, i mean i had staples i still had iodine all over my head blood all over my shirt and uh, I made, made him take me to a Seven Eleven so I could get cigarettes and get Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, between that and then you sneaking Jillian out that one time at the hospital uh, to yeah. smoke cigarettes. Always there. Terrible. Yeah. But, uh, you know, back to the not continuing. Meth would have killed me because I, I didn't have a meth stealer's friend, uh, phone number. But my uh, there's two guys that I hung out with all the time back then, Tony and Mark. Though we were like a threesome everywhere we went. We were always together. And Tony had a, a dealer. So it was essentially like having a dealer. There was always uh, stimulants to be had every single yeah. day. And I was I was on my way to uh, early demise with that for sure. And the back, the breaking of the back really stopped that in its tracks. Because uh, if you do stimulants, you you have any experience there, Brennan? Oh, yeah. Lots. With quite the, a bit. With doing stuff. Quite, quite a bit. <laughs> what happens? Uh, one of the first uh, effects is after a, a day or two of being awake is your back starts to really. Yeah. Hurt. Tightens up. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the idea of that, not to say I haven't done stimulants since I broke my back, but uh, yeah, it's it's not very appealing anymore because of the uh, the back pain, the, the constant back pain that I have. 
have. So it stopped me in my tracks. It saved my life. It really did. That's crazy. And that's so weird how, and a lot of the people I've had on the show, we all have similar circumstances where something happens and you think like, Oh, this is terrible. I wish that never happened, but it turns out to be one of the best things that ever happened to you. Yeah. It, it serendipitous, I guess. And I mean, I'm, when I was five, I got scarlet fever. I, I mean, and I should be, I should have died when I was five. There's plenty of times where I should have died if it wasn't for modern medicines. So yeah, I, you know, like many of us, I owe my life to modern medicine. There we go. A number, a number of times. Yeah. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Tell everybody one more time, all the stuff that you got to be go watch groupers. Got the other movie coming out. When are you guys going to start doing the uh, crowdfunding for that? Yeah, I'm, uh, I also moved recently. So a lot of, Oh yeah. I've only been in the new house for just barely four months now. And, uh, a lot goes into, I don't know if anyone's, uh, bought a house for the first time. They know what, what I'm talking about, but you, the first number of months I've found in my experience is like fixing this, fixing that, changing this, moving that. So it's almost been like a full-time job every single day, Atticus and, uh, and you're wrapped house. around with all the other stuff. Yeah. So, cause the, the jobs that I have in the podcast take about 25 hours uh, a week. I got 15 hours a week that I would like to fill with other jobs and, or making this next movie. So, uh, getting close to that, I'm going to probably, uh, this year is when it's going to happen. It's going to okay. happen this year. Beautiful. Even this first month's all, almost over already, but yeah, it's about, uh, uh, a, a group of mentally challenged uh, uh, adults led by one who was undiagnosed pretty much uh, uh, exacting revenge on the uh, leader's boss. That's what the, uh, go. the is. yeah. And that all comes from my time working with uh, special Olympics and at group homes. I, I spent a lot of uh, many years working with that community and it's just, it's still to this day, the best job I've ever had was working with the, the IDD they call them now intellectually developmentally delayed. That's awesome. See, yeah. for for all the the nervousness you had about coming off as kind of a crazy person, this you you're you're really one of the best guys I know. You're a nice. That's guy. the thing is, I get to like be a horrible person. Usually, it's to myself. Yeah, but I get absolutely. to be a horrible person because I know that it's not all bad. I think we should all have good and bad, and especially if we want to write and you know write about the human condition and stuff. You, you have need to, to be look a, at a it from bunch of sides. different things. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, perfect, man. I really do appreciate it. Everybody check out the after disaster, the film vault, cinema, cin uh, cinematic. Yeah. Um, thank you again, Anderson, for coming on. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Check it out. Uh, Brennan T comedy dot com. Check us out on Patreon backslash Brennan Tassif. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, Brennan. Thank you, man. I appreciate